Chapter 10 of St. Joseph of Copertino. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Cicilla. St. Joseph of Copertino by Reverend Angelo Pastrovici. Translated by Reverend Francis S. Lang. A Saint's Paradise. On the accession of Pope Alexander VII, a delegation of eight conventual provincials entreated His Holiness to restore Joseph to the conventuals. The Holy Father inquired to which place they wished him to be sent. They replied to the monastery at Assisi, where he had previously been. But the pontiff was of the opinion that there was no dearth of holy religious at Assisi, which had always been a school of true religious discipline. Several days later he informed the superiors that he wished Joseph to be sent to the monastery at Osimo, an old city in the marches, six hours distant from the sanctuary of Loreto. The Pope's nephew, Antony Bici, was then Bishop of Osimo. The papal brief was dated 1656, but owing to a pest then raging in parts of Italy, could be executed only the following year, when the secretary-general of the order was sent to take Joseph to Asimo. By divine revelation, the saint knew all this, and also the hour of his departure. He, therefore, against his wont, opened his window and placed himself near it at about half-past eight o'clock of the evening of July 6, 1657. A lay brother, his companion, surprised by this, asked him why he had done so. The saint replied that he would leave the monastery in a few hours to return to his order, and that the father's secretary, who was to take him back, was already near. The father's secretary arrived about half-past nine that evening, laid before the guardian the command of Rome, and, to avoid delay, left with Joseph that same night. The pious religious, as a last mark of affection, accompanied Joseph some distance on the stony path leading to the road, and with tender care placed a sudarium on his breast and another on his back, so that he might come to no harm if, in descending the mountain, he should perspire. Before leaving, he gave back to them these cloths, which diffused a most pleasant odor. This perfume was not only noticeable on the way, but on their return permeated the whole monastery. The joy of the conventuals at the return of Joseph was very great. He himself, though ever resigned to the will of God, was glad to return, and evinced his joy on arriving at the first monastery of his order at St. Victoria della Frade. His guides, though familiar with the place, had lost the way in the dark and wandered about in the neighboring woods. The saint, who had never before been in the place, said to them, Go yonder where the moon is rising. They turned in that direction and soon saw a bell tower of the church which adjoined the monastery. After his arrival, Joseph learned that the monastery had been established and built by St. Francis himself, and prostrating himself, he kissed the floor and thanked God for allowing him to live again among his brethren and die in their midst. The Bishop of Fossombroni and his domestics came that very night to receive the saint's blessing. This prelate detailed one of his servants to lead the saint's horse on the stony path during the following night, when the journey was continued. The better to perform his task, the servant held the bridle of the saint's horse with one hand, and with the other a burning candle. Though a violent wind was blowing, the candle was not extinguished, nor did it seem to grow smaller, though it burned for several hours. The man ever after preserved the candle as a relic. To avoid any concourse of people, the party avoided the cities and larger villages, and stopped only at hamlets and farms. At one such farmhouse, a poor woman complained to the saint that the melons from the sale of which she derived a livelihood for herself and her family were being destroyed by worms. Joseph, moved to pity, blessed the garden, and that year it produced more and larger melons than ever before. When the saint finally arrived at the walls of Osimo, he was obliged to wait till evening to enter the city. While he viewed the countryside from the porch of a house, a priest showed him the cupola of the holy house of Loreto. Joseph, on looking, suddenly exclaimed, 
Do you not see the angels who ascend and descend from heaven to yonder sanctuary? Immediately after saying these words, he uttered his usual cry and flew in ecstasy from the porch, which was twelve palms from the ground, to the foot of an almond tree, a distance of fifteen yards. On the evening of July 10th, 1657, Joseph arrived at the monastery of the Conventuals at Asimo. A secluded room with a private chapel and a garden were assigned to him, and a brother given him as associate and servant. Pope Alexander Seventh had commanded this, that the saint might not be annoyed by the people. During the remainder of his life, he had not the least intercourse with anyone except with the bishop, his vicar general, the religious of the monastery, and, in case of need, with the doctor and the surgeon. He left his room only to visit the sick religious of the monastery, and once, at night, when all doors had been carefully locked, to look at the church. He was nevertheless contented in his seclusion and was wont to say, I live in a city, yet it seems to me that I live in a forest, or rather, in a paradise. In very truth, he could call his new abode a paradise, for his soul was almost continually enraptured. Heaven only knows of all the sweet ecstasies which here united him with God. Many, however, became known. Several were witnessed by Cardinal Beechey, Bishop of Osimo. On one occasion he was sitting beside the saint and conversing with him, when he saw him rise rapidly, and, with outstretched arms and open eyes, remained deprived of the use of his senses, and though a gnat crawled over the apple of his eye, he did not move his eyelids in the least. At times the religious found him in his chapel wrapped in ecstasy, and would carry him like a corpse to his room. Occasionally these raptures lasted for six or seven hours. Once the friar saw him rise to a height of three paces, and press his face to that of an image of the infant Jesus, which stood above the altar of his chapel. In his cell he danced in delightful ecstasy with the same waxen image of the divine child, and pressed it to his breast violently, but without damaging it. On Christmas he would invite all the friars to his oratory, where he had erected a crib. He would then sing songs he had composed in honor of the Christ child, and invariably fall into ecstasy. He loved the child Jesus much, and it is recorded that Jesus appeared to him in the form of a child at Azimo and at other places. His life at Azimo was one of prayer. His daily prayers included the divine office, the little office of Our Lady, the office of the dead, the office of the cross, the office of the Holy Ghost, the seven penitential psalms with prayers, the litany of Our Lady, and the rosary. What time remained was given to pious reading, edifying converse with his fellow religious, and enjoyment of heavenly delights when he celebrated Holy Mass. It was certainly marvelous that the saint always continued the Mass where he had broken off, and that during his many ecstatic flights, upwards and downwards, forwards and backwards, his garments were never disarranged. Living for God alone, Joseph slept but a brief time on his bed of boards, and this unwillingly. He ate very little, and only Lenten foods. He was satisfied with what was set before him, and did not even say a word when his lay brother neglected to bring him any food for two days. The devil did not cease to tempt and molest him in various ways. But the servant of God courageously said, I do not fear his attacks, for I am with God and far from the world. Although the saint lived in such seclusion that he had not visited the city of Osimo and knew none of its citizens, yet he spoke of the city and its inhabitants, of their homes and their affairs, both public and private, as if he had seen all with his own eyes. The inhabitants of Osimo experienced many graces and miracles without knowing who wrought them. Sometimes the miracle was effected by a mere word. He quelled a threatening storm by the words, Go away in God's name. At times he wrought miracles by means of objects which he used. By a girdle he had worn, he freed a man from impure temptations. By like objects he cured such as suffered from earache, severe pains, dangerous fevers, hemorrhages, or other infirmities. The supernatural light by which Joseph knew secrets and foresaw the future continually increased. 
The gift was especially remarked by his fellow religious. To one of them he related even the smallest details of a journey he had made. Another friar he reminded of having forgotten to recite a promised prayer. One day, when a priest was called to the confessional, he revealed to him that one of his penitents, prompted by false shame, had concealed the sin in several confessions. "'Go, kill the scorpion,' said the saint. The father confessor understood these words on seeing a scorpion come forth from the penitent after he had confessed the sin. When several persons recommended to his prayers a peasant's wife, who had been seriously wounded, Father Joseph reassured them by saying, "'She will not die.'" By this same heavenly light, the saint discovered that several religious had left the monastery one evening during the carnival to enjoy themselves in the home of relatives. "'Where are thy sheep?' Joseph asked the father guardian who came to his room. These words were reported to the friars, and they quickly returned and entered the saint's cell. The servant of God was so overjoyed at their return that he took hold of one of them by the arm, lifted him with one hand from the floor, and whirled him about the cell as if he were but a straw. Thus did he show his tender love towards his fellow religious, whom he regarded safe from all danger when in the monastery. End of chapter 10